give you all the glory and to give you all the honor. Father, may your name be exalted in the mighty name of Jesus. Lord, as your word go forth this afternoon, let everyone under the sound of my voice begin to receive your touch in the mighty name of Jesus. Let every fear, every lack, every bondage at the name of Jesus now begin to submit to the authority and the power in that name in the name of Jesus. Father, I cannot speak of my own. But I know as your word go forth, your people will hear you. Therefore, let our word transform them in the name of Jesus. Any contrary spirits, Lord, we arrest them, we put them into captivity in the name of Jesus. And as this message begins to change, transform, and walk in their lives, if there is any power that says, okay, I will let them be changed and transformed during the service, and is waiting after the service to take away what God has done in their lives, Father, let your fire locate such powers now and destroy them in the name of Jesus. Father, I give you all the glory. Thank you, Father, because you will take all the honor here. And all the shame will go to the devil. In Jesus' name, we have prayed. Amen. God bless you. Let's put our hands together for Jesus. You may be seated in the presence of God. It's good to be in the house of God once again today. Last week, we started a series. And we will continue in that series today. For those who are just hearing this series today, we have been using the book of Jonah to explain and to talk about this uh, series. This book is a very interesting book that has a major character with the name of Jonah. Jonah was a prophet of God. He is a man that knows God, knew God very well. But for reasons, he decided to disobey God. God gave him a very clear and specific instructions. But he decided not to follow the instruction. And in the same way, many of us, we know God. We've lived with him. We've dined with him. We always say we love him. But we have developed so many ways to avoid his instructions. So we continue from there. Very quickly, let's open our Bible to the book of Jonah. Chapter 2. And I will start reading from verse 1. Are we there? And I read, Then Jonah prayed unto Lord his God out of the fish belly, and said, I cried by reason of my affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me. Out of the belly of hell cried I, and thou hearest my voice. For thou cast me into the deep, in the midst of the seas, and the floods compassed me about. All thy billows and thy wave passed over me. The title of our series, which we started last week, is It's Time to Get Serious. Today, we'll continue with part two. 
And the title of this past two is Cast into the Deep. So the series is titled, It's Time to Get Serious. And this part two, which is what we'll be talking about today, is titled Cast into the Deep. Now let me do a quick recap of what we talked about last week. In case you are just joining us for this series today. God told a man by the name of Jonah to go to a town that is called Nineveh. To tell them to repent and turn to God. But instead, the prophet Jonah decided to go to Tarshish. He decided to go to west when God told him to go to the east. So he headed towards a town that is called Joppa. Hoping to catch a sheep that is going to Tashish. Now, amongst several other reasons, one major reason why I decided I do not want to go to where God wants me to go, to the Assyrian, was because he doesn't like them. He's a Jew, an Israelite. The two nations do not go along. But why Jonah thought he's got a plan to avoid the instructions of God? Something happened. Now, I also said last week that you cannot flee or run away from the geographical presence of God, but you can run away from the will of God. So what Jonah tried to do is to run away from the will of God. He thought he can run away from the geographical presence of God. And why talking about that? three attributes of Jesus was of God was clearly emphasized which is God is omniscience he knows all things omnipotent God has power over all things and omnipresence God is present everywhere so we'll finish up that topic by saying there will be consequences for everything we do so we also looked into the Bible and the society about people who have not taken God seriously and the result of their actions. So today, we'll go into the message. Now, I want you to cast your mind back to when you've done something and somebody had to correct you. How did you feel? Cast your mind back to maybe something not too great. And somebody had to say something. In most cases, you feel like, okay, you feel a little bit quiet, a little bit remorse. Probably thinking, I should have done better. Probably thinking, well, I only have done what I've done because that is what I know. Years ago, I entered into a very serious argument with my mother in the house. And you know when, as a boy and you are growing up, I'm sure mothers will testify to this. It will come to a stage in the life of that boy, the boisterous in him will begin to come out. And he will begin to assert his authority. So it was at that stage of my life. And the argument was going back and front. I thought my father was not in the house. I didn't know that he has entered the house. So he came out. And when he came out, of course, every storm ceased. <laughs> and he asked the question, did you re realize who you are talking to? I said, yes, I, I'm speaking to mom. That You know, mom, he always likes to make, you know, Something out of nothing. Then he added, did you realize you are speaking to my wife? You know, at that point, I step back and I begin to think, okay, actually, this is my mom, but this is somebody's wife. It never dawned on me that my mom is actually somebody's wife because I was so close to him. So I thought, it's just my mom. <laughs> Before I could swallow that thought and imagination, 
a big knock came on my head. My mouth went to the left. The saliva came to the right. He said, before you are here, she has been here. Now that you are here, she is here. And when all of you go away, she will be the one to be here. Now, right from that day, I begin to see my mom, not only as my mother, but as my father's wife. So the approach changed. In the same way, you know, we get very used to God and we often forget to take him serious for any reason when he speaks. Maybe because most of us are born into a Christian homes. Maybe we are fortunate to have brothers, sisters, parents, relatives, pastors, friends of the family that prays for us and we take things for granted. I used to tell people that Anybody that is in prison today is because they have not been well taught about respect or they refuse to learn the lessons of respect. Because if they have known the meaning of respect, that will have hindered them from doing what they've done to get them to that place. And when you have respect for God, you begin to take the things of God very serious. And by taking the things of God very serious, you will not be cast into the deep. Now, what does it mean? What is the meaning of cast into the deep? Last week, we went through Jonah chapter 1. From that chapter 1, we saw how Jonah was trying to flee. The Bible says he got down into the ship. And the Bible emphasized a particular word, down. The Bible says it went down, down. In King James Version, it was used about three times and some other version two times. And I said, when you are reading the Bible and you see a particular phrase or word coming up over and over, pay particular attention to that word. So it went down to the side of the ship and it was sleeping. Until the captain of the ship went to him and said, young man, why are you sleeping? Why can't you cry to your God? Maybe he will answer and this storm will cease. Do you know a lot of times it takes people who do not even know about Christ, about God, to tell us Christians that where is our God? And they usually say that maybe through the words of our mouth directly or through their attitude and behavior to us. It is then you will not remember that it looks as if you have a Bible in the house somewhere. It is then you remember that the Sunday service is still taking place. But that's a reproach. That's really bad. Having said that, we are stepping into chapter 2 today. Jonah came to his senses. Long story short, he was cast into the deep. He was thrown into the sea and he found himself in the belly of the fish. It was then he remembered that he knew how to pray and he started praying. Similarly in our lives, when everything is going on fine and we encourage us, pray, do this, do that. No. It's only when the challenges and the trials of life starts that we begin to realize Okay, I belong to a Bible-believing and praying church. If only you know that every good thing and otherwise requires prayer. Cast into the deep means to be thrown into the battle of life. Cast into the deep means to be thrown into a situation where you cry for help. Cast into the deep can also mean the troubles whereby you are crying internally but people cannot say it and they think everything is okay it means to be swallowed by troubles and challenges no wonder job says in the book of job chapter 14 when you start reading from verse 1 it says 
man who is born of woman is of a few days and full of trouble. Sometimes we use our own hand to cast ourselves into this deep by our decisions, by not taking God seriously, and sometimes it can also be the work of the enemy. But let's focus on the earlier part, which is that which to do with ourselves. You know, a lot of time, natural human beings setting, you always want to blame something for anything that happens to you. And a lot of times, we do not start taking on spiritual battle by setting ourselves in order, looking internally, before we start holding and blaming the powers of our father's house and the powers of our mother's house. Those powers are there. They are wicked powers. They do exist. But a lot of time, probably you are the very trouble that is troubling yourself. So let's start the battle from there. And that's what we want to bring out by going through this series. Why do we get cast into the deep? When Jonah found himself in the belly of the fish, he started praying. Now let's go to verse 2. Jonah chapter 2 verse 2. Let's open our Bible. Jonah chapter 2 verse 2. And I read. And said, I cry by the reason of my affliction unto the Lord. And he heard me out of the belly of hell, cried I, and thou hearest my voice. Here again, Jonah establishes the attributes of God which I mentioned earlier. One, he established that one, God is omniscience, God is omnipotent, and God is omnipresence. In the hidden parts of the belly, he cried to God. God was there. That's omnipresence. God knows what was going on with him. Omniscience. And God knows, already knew the end. That's omnipotent. Now from verse 3, I want you to listen very well to verse 3, and I read. For thou hast cast me into the deep, into the midst of the sea, and the flood compassed me about, all thy billows, and thy waves pass over me. Let me rewind. Look at this phrase. For thou hast cast me into the deep, in the midst of the sea. Now, let me ask you a question. I believe we've all been following these Bible readings and everything. Who cast Jonah into the sea? Who? Exactly. The people on the ship. So why did he say, for thou hast cast me deep into the midst of the sea? Hmm? Good. Let me take my clue from that. That's where I'm going. You see, when Jonah said that, one thing he established is God is suffering. He's a sovereign God. The meaning of being suffering means that God is independent. God is self-determining. God is autonomous. God is supreme. He knows everything, situation, circumstances, and causes of things. As human beings, you also have the responsibility for the things that happen to you. Even though we do not want to accept it. Sometimes, people use this word, fortunate, unfortunate, good luck, bad luck when they've entered into one issue or the other. But you see, I think it's all various attempts by you and I to cover up the things we do. 
we all think, oh, I can get this done. But when everything is exposed, it becomes, I was not just lucky. Nobody in their mind have ever conceived doing anything and ever believed they will be caught. I'll tell you a very funny one again. When we're growing up, my mom made, you know, beans cake that then, you know, they used to use, <laughs> they used to use thin to exactly to do it. But now you have a lot of um, packages that you can use to, to make it. <laughs> so after we've eaten, <laughs> For some reason, my sister went to the one that she kept and decided to scrape out from the top. So when mom came back, she was like, who did this? Who did this? And of course, they caught her and she had to be punished. And my, I had a very wonderful friend. So he came into the house and said, ah, what did you do? He said, uh, actually eat out of the beans cake that uh, mom kept. He said, how did you do it? He said, I took it from the top. He said, ah, you will take it from the bottom <laughs> next time. <laughs> the next time you take it from the bottom, so you put it there so that nobody will know. <laughs> you see, what am I trying to say? Anytime we want to do anything, we create a plan in our mind and we believe that is the best plan until when God exposes that thing. And that's exactly the same thing that Jonah did. Can you imagine a man that knew God very well trying to run away physically from God? Is it not funny? But then he's not seeing it in that light. He's saying it like, yes, I've got a plan. Very wonderful one. But something happened when he entered into that fish. He now began to reason like a normal child of God. And that was why he ascribed his being thrown into the sea to God rather than the people. Most of the time, when we fall into issues and the whole thing is blown up, it is not bad luck. It is God that orchestrated it. So that you will know that he is God. And one thing I need to tell you is this. God knows everything that happened, that will happen, that is happening to you. And God knows that as his child, he can deal with you. He can chastise you. He can discipline you. That's why when children, our young ones, our junior colleagues in the office, when they do things wrong, you discipline them, you issue them query. I know this sounds somehow, but that shows you how sovereign God is. He's so great and majestic, and his ways are very deep. Jonah quickly settled to the consequences of the things he has done. I said it last week, you are deceiving yourself for everything you do, for every sin, there's going to be consequences. I clearly understand there is forgiveness, there is mercy, but there is also consequences. There's something that they call the law of harvest. That now took me to the, that takes me to the next thing, the wilderness experience. Because when Jonah got into that belly fish, He's passing through what I would call the wilderness experience. Jonah, like I said, started thinking straight and he acknowledged God and discovered that God is actually great. I want you to understand some facts here as a believer. As a believer and child of God, God will discipline you. Now, if you are listening to me, and probably you are not sure whether you are saved or anything, just follow, I will explain. But if you are a believer, 
let's get it straight. God will discipline you. Why? Because God loves you. <laughs> Praise God. Don't mind, Siri. <laughs> you don't need to understand us anyway. <laughs> because God loves you. Now, here are some of the facts I want you to take note when it comes to discipline. Take note of this fact. God will discipline you as his child because he wants you to grow and be a better person. I know we do not like discipline. I know we try to run away from people who try to discipline and set us straight. But one thing that the lessons of life have taught me, even if I've not learned anything, is that when you finally get to where you should be or that good place, the first set of people you will remember in your lives are those set of people that have set you straight and guide you and did not take any nonsense from you in getting to their place. All those ones who were pampering you, you don't remember them. Another fact about God disciplining us is discipline is painful. And the third fact is discipline makes us fruitful. It makes us to produce a fruit. When God wants to discipline us, it will raise up a situation. For Jonah, it was put into the fish. Last week, I was mentioning some names of some people about things that happened to them. For some people, it was email that got them into trouble. For some people, it was through the gates of sex that made them get into trouble. Now, God does not discipline unbelievers. You know what he does? He makes them to reap the natural and the physical consequences of their actions. That's the difference between being a believer and somebody who's not a believer. And that's why I said people will sow and they will definitely reap what they've sown. Now, here is another vital thing which I want you to know. When Jonah was going through his wilderness experience. Let's go to verse 7 and 8 in Jonah chapter 2. I, start, I will start reading from verse 7. I read. I'm reading King James Version now. When my soul fainted within me, I remember the Lord. And my prayer came into, in unto me, into thy holy temple. Verse 8. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. I want to read the NIV version because I want to bring it home to you. Verse 7. When my life was hebbing away, I remember you, O Lord. And my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Verse 8. Those who cling to worthless idols, turn away from God's love for them. Let me digress a little bit. A lot of times when we do not want to mind God, when we want to go on our own ways, you know what the enemy will do? It creates an idol in our hearts. Consciously and unconsciously, that idol begins to take over your mind. What is an idol? An idol is anything that takes hold of somebody's creative thinking, imagination, and thoughts. An idol is anything that takes the place of God in my life, in your life. This can be money, it can be power, it can be fame, it can be sex, it can be drug. Anything that takes over your mind and you pursue it. And as a child of God, 
When you get to that level, God will discipline you. As an unbeliever, you will reap the consequences of your own actions. Let me take a bit of time to thoroughly explain what the word idol and idolatry means. I said it's a way that the enemy used to arrest us. Now, let's step a little bit outside the church now. For those of us in marketing, sales, digital marketing, all those kind of things, and some other related careers and businesses, there is something that is called in sales, bait and switch, and bait and hook. Have you, has anybody heard any time that term before? There's something in business, in marketing, that they call bait and switch and bait and hook. And I will explain. Let me quickly explain those two things. Bait and switch. Generally, morally, it is illegal. How? Bait and switch is when you advertise something in any medium. Somebody sees that product and decides to come to the store. When the person arrives in the store, he will discover that that item is not there. They will now offer you a different item. So the bait is the advert has drawn you to the store. You have already carried your money. So when you get there, the switch is they work on your mind to get a different thing. The bait and hook is another classic strategy. This is the way it works. It works that when you walk into a store, you want to buy something, we'll make that thing very cheap. We will now have a complimentary product to it. So that because the first thing you bought is very cheap, it will push you to buy the second item. That's why most of the time, when you go to the electrical store, anytime you see or anywhere you see them selling printers, what is the next thing you will see? Toners. <laughs> so toners is the next thing that you will see. And so that they know that when you buy a printer, you're going to make use of a toner sooner or later. So they offer that to you. And you too think like, oh, that's true. I'll buy it. Did you prepare to buy a toner in the first place? No. The enemy is a master strategist using those two things. And once he baits you and switch you or baits you and hook you, you are done. For instance, let's take it into reality now, in our everyday life. A young man who has never tasted drug found himself all of a sudden holding drug for the first time in the midst of his friends. He claims that there is peer pressure, and they actually peer pressured him into taking it. If he could not resist it, now, while they are working on his imaginative process, everybody is saying all those kind of things. The enemy is already building an idol in his mind. If he does not resist and he yields to it, he's already bit and he's hooked. Now, it doesn't stop. That's one funny thing about the enemy. The enemy will push him further. After having that first experience, it will push him further that, you know what? You can try the second time again. And if he falls to that, he tries it again. The enemy will not stop. will push further that, you see, last time you tried this kind of mixture. Let me give you another recipe. And that's it. That person is gone, except God comes to rescue the person. Unfortunately, these idols will never tell you and I the consequences of those actions. Nobody ever commits anything and ever thinks of consequences. If we all do, maybe we'll be all very right in thinking, and in our behavior. 
Do you think my little sister I talked about thought of the consequences of that my mother will ever cut her? She wouldn't have gone to take it. If I have thought about the consequences of knowing and coming to the fact that my mother is somebody's wife, will I be talking to my mother that way? No. And self-idol thrives on one thing. I said it last week. Self-deception. Self-deception is it makes you to convince yourself that what you are doing is right and it will fuel you to desire it. It will create an anger in you. You want it. You want it to be done. And once the desire is there, if you do not switch it away from your mind, the next thing is you do something and it will take you into that wilderness. Now, coming out of the wilderness, maybe you're already in that wilderness now. I don't know the wilderness you have by your actions, by your thoughts, by the things you do, simply by not taking God seriously. How do I come out of it? The only person that gives you a better life and fulfill your desire is Jesus. A number of times we do things with an expectation. We do things because we believe that if we do this, something better will happen. So, for instance, I have a job. I believe if I do my professional development, I will do something, maybe an exam or qualification, so that will enable me to desire of getting another job, and I will have more salary. I will have more money. For instance, for some of us, we believe that anyway, a pastor is not carrying me to house after the service. After I've done my driving test, I'll buy my car. And they will hear. But here is one thing that life has taught me. That when you get to that place you are going, your desire is never satisfied. He's doing driving tests now. Let him buy the car. After he must have bought the car, after some time, you will start complaining. My car is not a text you. I can't be carrying people up and down. But if you want to drive now, you've bought the car. Why are you complaining about driving again? Okay, I just want to get married. Once I get married, it's everything. After the marriage, I don't even know why I enter into this. The only person that can satisfy our desire is God. And that's why it's the only person that can bring us out of any wilderness which our attitude, our actions has taken us into. Jonah taught by fleeing from the will of God. Everything is settled. Only for him to realize that, in fact, it is more than that. Thank God he came to his senses in the wilderness. And God used something that is called the mercy of God. To take him out. And that leads me to the next subtopic. Mercy of God. Let's go back to the book of Jonah chapter 2. And let's start reading from verse 7. So I'm going to read from verse 7 to 8. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came in unto me, into thy holy temple. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. Let me step into verse 9. But I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving, and I will pay thee what that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. Now, good news. God is faithful. Maybe you fled from the presence of God, and now you've realized that no matter how far you run, God is always going to catch up with you. And you've reflected and you are now ready to come back to, Jonah, to God just the same way that Jonah did inside that big belly fish. The Bible made us to understand God is a God of mercy. And salvation is of the Lord. And it comes from God's grace. But here is one question I will ask you quickly. While you are coming to that understanding, if I ask you, what is your motive for loving God? 
A lot of time, you and I, times, a lot of times, you and I forget to question our motive. And that's why we do the things we do. If I had questioned my motive, I wouldn't do some of the things that would take me away from the presence of God. If David had questioned his motive, like we talked about last week, he would not go and sleep with somebody's wife, only to find himself there and now scheming out to kill the husband. Like I use example of people in the society, if people like Tiger Woods were thinking about the consequences, you will not go, she, he will not go to have a mistress. So, what is your motive for loving God? I know a lot of times we say fear, yes. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Yes, that's wonderful. But this is the perspective from which I want you to see it. Let it be from the perspective of love. And loving God encompasses total obedience. That's why most of the time, I don't know if you do a self-assessment. I do it. I ask myself, do you actually love God? Cast your mind back to when a young chap is in a relationship. Before it starts going down. Let's, the early part of the relationship, everything is like, in fact, if you ask him to bring down his head, he will bring down the head. Now, are you ready to give God that kind of a love and use it as a motive for loving him, genuine love for him, not as a result of my circumstances or situation? A lot of the old folks in the headquarters when you get there, you see a lot of them. They found themselves in the arena of deliverance of so many things because they've forgotten to think about the love they have for God then. You and I, God being faithful to us, is still a little bit early in life. Let that thought re-echoes back at the back of your mind before you take those steps so that we do not become like them. When you have true, genuine love for God, you will serve him out of true and genuine commitment. You see, life will one day push you to the edge. I gave you instances last week when I was explaining how do people see themselves in very funny situations. Life will create circumstances for you. I use myself as an example to you. In my circular job, I travel a lot. I sleep a lot in hotel. You have all the liberty in the world to do anything. And nobody will see. But then, I've sown a seed. And that will be real. That's why when people traveled, that's when their marriage gets into disaster. Because they are far away and they thought nobody could see. And in the same way, in your own level, life will present situations to you. It doesn't have to be traveling. It may even be in your academics. It may be at a place of work. It may be when you need to do something that you really need. I gave example last week that, you know, Christians are very good in, you know, covert sin these days. As Christians, you won't go and carry guns, all those kind of things, go and rob somebody. But then, when they ask you to do tax form submission, you lied. So, what difference, what's the difference between you and somebody that carried gun? It's only the means that is different. And those are the kind of reality that life will bring across to you. You know quite where somebody is not a Christian. You say you want to convert him by entering into a relationship. Are you Christ? <laughs> Even the people that were living 
under the nose of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ preached, preached. They didn't answer. These are the things that, you know, we should know. And when those situations comes, how will you respond? Are you going to yield to the idol that the enemy will create and try to run away like Jonah, thinking that it's all sorted? Only for you to discover by the time you enter into the belly of the fish that there is no hiding place. Are you going to be like Adam who was trying to hide at the back of a tree from his creator? Think. It is time for us to take God very seriously. All those things we've talked about in the last two months, planning, laying a foundation, all those things. Even if we have those facts, figures, everything set. If we do not take God seriously by following and obeying his instruction, it's just going to be a total waste of time. And that's why I said last week, when you look at the way we started this year, it's in a pattern. Because then uh, we need to grow spiritually. We can't be in the same spot. And we need to know, like I said, that let's start dealing with ourselves first before we start dealing with external powers. In conclusion, I want you to know that salvation has nothing to do with goodness. People think when I'm morally upright, um, I pay to charity, this charity, that, I'm okay, I'm nice to everybody, that, that's what they call salvation. Sorry? You may be a moralist, but you may not be saved. How do I get saved? Cry unto him like Jonah. Put your faith in him, and he will come and rescue you. I want you to bow down your head and begin to reflect on these things. And also when you leave this place and you get home, I want you to reflect on these things which I will say now. Reflect on those three attributes of God. He's omnipotent, omniscience, omnipresence. He's everywhere. He knows everything that is happening. Reflect on the fact that maybe you are in the wilderness experience now. How am I seeing God? Is he speaking to me? Have I realized my mistake and I'm ready to hand over to him to help me, to bring me out? Reflect on the fact by looking at Jonah and compare it to our own life. Am I another Jonah? Very quickly, if you are here and you've not given your life to Christ, this is an opportunity. Bow down your head and begin to confess your sins. Just tell him that, Father, have mercy, forgive me. Wash away all my sins by your mercy. Let your blood purify me today in the name of Jesus. Set me free and make me whole. In Jesus' name, I have prayed. For all of us, let's confess our sins. Let's ask that the mercy of God will wash them away. As we are doing that, let's stand up in the presence of God as we prepare to go into our prayer session. Father Lord, we've come before you once again. Anything that will stand against us or that the enemy has been using as a legal ground against our prayers, Lord, have mercy, forgive us in the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. I want you to lift up your voice now. Now that you understand why you need to pray these prayers, I want you to pray seriously. Strange forces of darkness that has kept me in bondage. Release me now in the name of Jesus. Yes, strange forces of darkness that has kept me in bondage. Release me now. Release me now. Release me now. Release me now. In Jesus' name, we are praying. Any idol in my heart that has made me the creator of my own troubles, come out and be destroyed in the name of Jesus. Warriors, out, out, out. Any idol in my heart 
that has met with the creator of my own trouble. Come out, be destroyed. Come out, be destroyed. Come out, be destroyed. In the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. God is a God of mercy. And therefore, sometimes when we are trying to come back, the enemy tries to play our past to us so that we feel guilty. But the enemy will not win. You will lift up your voice and pray. Anything in my past, all that I have done, that the enemy is using against my present, and my future, blood of Jesus, cleanse it off in the name of Jesus. Yes, anything my past and present that the enemy is using against my present and my future, let the blood of Jesus cleanse it in the name of Jesus. Let the blood of Jesus cleanse it in the name of Jesus. Let the blood of Jesus cleanse it in the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Father, we thank you for today. Lord, I pray as many people that the enemy is trying to use their past or anything they've done wrong in life to make them feel guilt, to make them be put into a prison that you have not put them in. Tonight, Lord, let your mercy prevail. Deliver them in the name of Jesus. Let your blood wash away. Anything in their old life, anything in their past, in the name of Jesus. Father, I pray, now that we know that we cannot run away from you, we invite you into our lives. Come and dwell in our lives in the mighty name of Jesus. Once again, Lord, we commit this wonderful month into your hand. That, Lord, this month shall be full of testimonies and celebration for us in the name of Jesus. That as your people step out of this place, every door that looks as if it has been knocked by the lock by the enemy shall be opened in the name of Jesus. Anywhere that you've been made mockery of, they will come around to celebrate with you in the name of Jesus. This month, it does not matter whether people want it or not. They will see your testimony and they will give glory to God in the name of Jesus. I decree that this month, as you go forth, even the people whom you do not know, the Lord will organize them to remember you and help you in the name of Jesus. Father, Lord, we give you all the glory. Thank you, King of Kings. In Jesus' name, we have prayed.